Tonight, if you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll pick up eventually in verse 12, but before we do, I'm going to spend a fair amount of time setting the the real parameters and the stage for why we find what it is we find. You know, so very often the church is guilty of confining the resurrection of Jesus Christ to one week a year, aren't we? We wander around Easter week and they go, he is risen. See, you can't even do it. He is risen indeed, amen? Easter week, I will get the right response every time. I walk up and I say, he is risen. You guys believe that? Or is that something that you just believe during Easter week? Yeah, you see, that's actually what Paul is addressing as we turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we pick up in verse 12. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is central. It is the central truth to your salvation. If he is not risen then you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. If he is not God incarnate in human flesh, then that price that was on your head was not paid by him. And so the resurrection of Jesus, which for the world is one of the most debated parts of Christianity. The whole world loves the grace of God, amen? You talk to somebody about the grace of God and leave out the part that is only found in Christ Jesus as Lord. There's not a person on this earth that doesn't love that. You'll you'll find everybody going, you mean I can have God's unmerited favor? They're like, yeah. But then you tell them that came by God becoming flesh and dwelling among us walking on this earth for the better part of 33 years, being murdered, put in a grave, and raised three days later? They're like, well, that's crazy. That's a miracle. Well, duh. It took a miracle to redeem us back from the price that was on our heads. It took God dying for you. It took God dying for me. It took him being raised. And because he is raised, that's the only reason one day you will be raised. You remember when Jesus was speaking to the disciples and we were in John chapter 14 and Jesus gives them this description. They're going, well, where are you going, Lord? Well, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you might also be. That statement hangs on the fact that Jesus didn't stay in the grave, doesn't it? Otherwise, where was Jesus going to be? In the grave. I go to prepare a place for you, the grave. Nobody went on to tell us it was not the grave, but it in fact was his father's house in which there are many mansions, amen? You see, sometimes we so restrain the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we forget the resurrection applies to you. It doesn't just apply to Jesus. Because he was raised, one day everyone who has placed their faith and hope and trust in him will also be raised. Amen? Would you pray with me and we'll actually turn to John 11 briefly. Father, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We don't know what else to say, but we thank you for sending your own son into this wretched world to become us, to give his life a ransom for many and to die on Calvary's cross, to be raised three days later And King Jesus, we await that day when we see you face to face, when the dead are raised, when we who are alive in Christ might be called into the air 
when you return to this earth to receive those who've given their life to you during the tribulation and martyred even, Lord. We thank you for the doctrine and for the beauty of the resurrection of the dead because we who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, you have made alive. And because you were raised, so shall we be also raised. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus in John chapter 11, and again, I draw your attention to these passages because these passages are completely meaningless. John chapter 14 makes zero sense. If Jesus is just a man and he dies, or even if he is absconded with and he didn't die from the beating and the crucifixion, but they stole his body and took him away only to die in some obscure place at a later date and time from his wounds or or maybe in old age because he was super strong, but he died and he's still dead. John chapter 11, Jesus makes this incredible journey because he's in the Jordan River Valley baptizing with John the Baptist and he hears his friend Lazarus is sick. His sisters Mary and Martha send word to Jesus and Jesus begins the roughly 60 mile journey along the Jericho road from where Jesus was to the little town of Bethany which is just adjacent to the east of Jerusalem. And Jesus nearly gets to where where Lazarus is and the most amazing thing happens. Because the sisters believed that Jesus could, in fact, heal any sickness. He was known as a healer. But what they needed to know was he could raise the dead. And so Jesus, knowing this, stops in Bethpage before he makes it to Bethany. And he stays there for a couple of days. And while he's there, Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, dies. Now you have a very different situation, amen? And so the two sisters are a little tweaked at Jesus. They're like, dude, what is up with you? And that's the Jeff Gill nearly inspired version. The JG and IV. What is wrong with you? Why would you stop in that hole in the wall of Bethpage when your friend, our brother, is dying? Why would you do that? You remember what Jesus said? Among other things, verses 25 and 26, he says to them, I am. I am. The resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? You see, this isn't an Easter message. This is an everyday reality in the life of every believer. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is with me. Whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him. I know he's near. Amen? You you see, the resurrection is central to who we are in Christ. It's not an Easter message. It's the message we have to share with the world. But I can tell you this, that's the message the world doesn't want to hear. They don't want to hear that Jesus raises the dead. Why? Because they love the darkness. They love the darkness. 
let me be blunt. If Jesus is not raised, there is no hope for us. What we're doing tonight then becomes religion. It becomes our attempt to reach God. But the fact of the matter is, is that God reached us, amen? Jesus came here. And though he was murdered, he did not stay dead. He fulfilled the scriptures which said, death, where is your sting? Grave, where's your victory? Because the grave couldn't hold him. And so the Apostle Paul, in light of that truth, basically is going to present to us now at the moment of salvation this miracle that occurs. That we who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus is made alive. You see, I am actually already walking in eternal life. Because death can no longer kill me. Do you realize that? Do you ever think about the fact you're already eternally alive? You're already alive unto Christ. That's not just a future thing. It's a today thing. You are already seated in the heavenlies. That's a today thing. Your eternity is so secure because it's secure in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Because he defeated death, so will you defeat death. Death cannot take you any longer. Oh, you will die. That's why Jesus said what he said in John 11. The Lord doesn't rapture his church. One day you're going to take your last breath. The good news is it'll be your last temporal breath and it'll be your first breath in heaven. Amen? So in that sense, exactly what Jesus said. He who lives and believes in me shall never die. That all hangs on the resurrection. That doesn't hang on your grace. You receive it because of grace and faith. But what purchased that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His blood poured out on Calvary's cross. And the judicial price on your head was paid. When we use the term justification, that's what it means. You had a death sentence. Because the wages of sin is death. And so the penalty on your head was death. Jesus took your death and gave you his life. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. So that eternal life that we all have who have believed in him is ours now. It'll be fully recognized in the future. I was reading through a number of commentaries on my journey through the scriptures as I was thinking about this. And the bottom line is there's two kinds of people on this earth. So sure, there's saints and there's ain'ts. There's ins and there's outs. There's those walking in darkness and those walking in light. Those are dead and those that are alive. And the reality is there's only one way and one truth and one life. There's only one way that anyone has eternal life with God. And that's Jesus And so the moment that we die, where we experience the rapture, we are forever in the presence of the Lord because he has made us alive. That's why when Mary and Martha went to the tomb with Mary Magdalene, that's why when Peter and John had a foot race to the tomb and they looked in and they saw and they believed, What they believed was, he's alive. So you might expect the Apostle Paul to spend some time talking about the resurrection of the dead, don't you think? Because the truth is, 
God's eternal plans hang on it. God's eternal plan for you and for me hang on the resurrection. And when you go to share your faith, this is the one area where people will go, you really believe that Jesus was murdered on a cross and he was hung between two thieves and he was buried in a grave and he was actually raised from the dead by the power of God? Your answer to that is, you better believe I do. Amen? Because anything less than that, we got some issues. Amen? Verse 12. Now, now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, remember, Paul is writing to Christians. He's literally saying there are some people who have named the name of Jesus that he's speaking to in this letter that don't believe that Jesus was actually raised from the dead. And he was having a tough time believing that. I wonder if sometimes he he wouldn't have said something like Alexander McLaren said. Those that believe on Jesus but appear to die, they are actually alive. They're not in the grave. They're forever with the Lord. They're not unconscious. They're with the Lord in paradise. Because death can't kill the believer. You see, some Christians are so uncertain of the resurrection of Christ that they they will answer things like, well, I don't know if I actually believe that, but you know, I believe in Jesus. Well, I don't know if he was really raised from the dead or not. I don't know that it matters because, you know, spiritually it matters where your heart's at. Can I tell you that is exactly what the Greeks believed? The Greeks believed that there were two components to you as a human being. One was physical and it did not matter what happened to that physical body. And the other was spiritual and that's the part that was eternal. But that's not the truth. Because God put your spirit inside of your body so much so that he called your body the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the dwelling place of God that you're sitting in right now, in case you didn't know that. And you see what Paul is saying here is, look, in order to believe in your own resurrection, you better believe that Christ was raised from the dead. Otherwise, when you die, there's no hope for you. They weren't just spiritual people. They were body mind and spirit and one day you are going to be in heaven and people are going to know you exactly as they knew you here you're going to be raised now you're going to be raised as we're going to see next as we get to next week's study in a resurrection body that's fitted for heaven but people are going to know you you're not going to be a stranger in heaven not awesome Because I'd like to get rid of this body, but I'd like to not be a stranger. Because I've mistreated this one. And so it's got some parts that no longer function as they once did. But praise God, because I'm going to be raised, my body is going to get resurrected. And it's not just going to get resuscitated. It's going to be a whole new you, and that'll be next time. But you're going to be raised and you will live eternally with every single person who has ever believed in the name of the Lord Jesus and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit for eternity. It's central to our faith. Your salvation hangs on it. It's the one belief that unites all of us. There's some truths here that we have to consider. Verse 13. Now I want you to hear these very, very carefully. Most powerful passage in all of the Bible about the necessity of believing in the resurrection is found here. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen... 
then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. You see what Paul is saying is if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, no one is going to be raised from the dead. And every single thing you have ever been taught in church, in a Bible teaching, believing church is a farce. It would be a farce. Because it just becomes another speech by somebody like me who maybe could whip you into a frenzy with some words. Rah, rah, yay, yay, let's all go out and be a little different. Yay! Teach you a little health, wealth, and prosperity, and you all go out in the parking lot and spin around a couple times. I feel better. I might be able to fix your marriage. Maybe I could give you some financial advice from the Bible. But let me put it to you this way. If you die and are not raised... None of that makes any difference. Because in light of eternity, this life is a vapor. It's short. We're going to be here for a little bit of time and then gone. The resurrection isn't true. You're gone for a long time. It's called eternity. Because he rose. We have absolute certainty that God accepted his sacrifice for our sins, so our sins are forgiven. Do you realize that? Because he rose. He now is the advocate before the Father and is ever interceding for you in the throne room in heaven. If he did not rise, he is not there. Because he rose, he defeated death. And because he defeated death, so you will defeat death one day. But if he didn't rise, what's the point of being here tonight? Yes, and we are found, Paul says, pastors. The apostle Paul, we, that's who he's talking about, are found as false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he is raised up. Whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise then Christ is not risen. He's basically saying I am a complete joke. If Jesus isn't risen from the dead. I'm a false prophet. I'm not telling you the truth. Verse 17. If Christ is not risen then your faith is futile. It's pointless. It's meaningless. It amounts to nothing. It is the truly the biggest hill of legumes that ever existed. Another name for beans. Pointless. And here's why. Faith in faith is the dumbest thing that's ever existed in the history of mankind as far as I'm concerned. There are people who have faith in faith. Why just have faith? Faith demands an object. You have to have faith in something. If you just have faith in faith, you're you're a constant walking fairy tale. That's what you are. If all you have is, well, I, I have faith. Well, I have faith that I'm gonna be a millionaire when I go home. You know why that's stupid? Because it's not in anything. I could have faith all day that I'm going to be a millionaire tomorrow. But that faith is ill-placed. Because it's not placed in anyone who's going to actually do that for me. But you know what? I have faith that one day I'm going to be raised from the dead. And when I take my last breath, I'm going to heaven. And the reason that I know that I can have that faith is somebody went before me and did it. And my faith is in him. So I have faith in Jesus Christ. I do not have happy thoughts. It's not a Peter Pan moment. I don't wake up and go, "Ah, I'm going to never, never land. No, I'm going to heaven because Jesus went there first. Amen? That's a very important distinction. Because a lot of people are just religious religious. 
They have faith in pieces of rock. They have faith in buildings. They have faith in pieces of cloth. They have faith in pastors. They have faith in priests. They have faith in all kinds of things. But if your faith is not in Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says your faith is in vain. Oh, now you know why I love the resurrection on days other than Easter. Amen? Because my faith is not in vain. And I'm telling you the truth. I know I am. God raised Jesus from the dead and showed acceptance of that sacrifice. And that's a hard truth. That's a tough one to tell people about. They look at you like, really? And you say, really? Your whole eternity hangs on it. Verse 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He's basically disassembling the argument that there's some other way that you can be right with God. He's basically saying, look, if Jesus did not die for your sins and was not raised, then anyone who's died before you died in vain. They perished. They're gone too. Their history, adios, hasta la vista, baby. They're gone. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. If the only place that Christ counts is here, then we are to be pitied. If this is a religious exercise, that we just go to church while we're here on this earth, this is what Paul's saying, listen to it carefully. If this is a religious duty and obligation, that while we're here, we talk about Jesus, then we're a bunch of fools. There's a a Greek word that's used here, It's idiota, from which we get the word idiot. We would be complete fools if the only place that Jesus was effective was here. If it was all about Jesus feeding the multitudes, if it was all about Jesus raising just Lazarus to only die again, think about that one. Is that a bum deal or what? The dude's already died once, now he's got to die again. Think about it. If the resurrection of Christ is only something to concern us here, then we are fools. We're to be pitied. Every pastor, every teacher, every last one of us who've told anyone ever about the risen Savior, we we would be liars. And we're not. And I want to tell you, nobody dies for lies. Oh, they might get close. They'll carry stories out for a very long time, but I've never known of a story of somebody, well, you know, there was this lie and I just wanted to tell it until somebody killed me. And yet, millions upon millions of people have surrendered their very breath of life for the one cause. He is risen. Jesus was the first fruit. He was the first, but he's not the last. Verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's saying, look, now let's make sure that you're square on this. Jesus was the first one who was resurrected. He was the first of the kind. He's the preeminent one of all creation. The one who paved the way, the one who paid the price. There's a reason that he's called the way, amen? He didn't just show the way, he is the way. Because he defeated death, because he defeated death. Because he paid the price for our sin, he became the first fruit 
In other words, if you were to plant a tree, people often misunderstand this term. If you were to plant a tree and you water it, and you fertilize it, and you prune it, very often the first few seasons there's no fruit. Amen? If you've ever planted a fruit tree, you know this to be true. And then this miraculous thing happens. It flowers, it buds, it's pollinated, and there's fruit. There is always a first fruit off of every tree. Amen? Jesus was the first fruit of the dead. He was the first one that came off the tree. But the rest of us who are grafted into the vine, who have believed on his name, become additional fruit from the same tree, Jesus. And because he is raised, so you and I shall also be raised. He's not going to be the last fruit. He's the first fruit. Verse 21, for since man came by death, for since by man came death, excuse me. Adam's sin caused that, amen? When Adam sinned, death entered into the world. That's what happened. You may not like that. I've listened to people go, well, I You know, I never even knew Adam. Really? That's a shocker. But you are related to him. Because you came from the same genetic stock as Adam and Eve. That's why, by the way, if you really analyze our DNA and they're finding every single time we turn a quarter genetically... We now know that about 99.98% of each of us is, is the same. The rest of it's all stuff that doesn't matter. Hair color, skin color, eyes, body shapes and sizes. That's all very tiny, minuscule pieces of your DNA. Makes you unique, yes. That's the beautiful part of it. But we're all related to Adam. And because Adam sinned, every one of us has been born with a sin nature. The capacity and the understanding of what sin and death really is. By man also came the resurrection from the dead or of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so even in Christ all shall be made alive. And I want you to be really careful here because this does not say that everyone gets saved. It's painting the picture that the same exact purpose and plan for every last human being's life has been there since the beginning and the one and the only answer is still the one and only answer to the same problem that's been there since the beginning it does not mean that everyone will accept that doesn't doesn't mean that all will believe but it does mean that anyone can believe And if you will believe, for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? So it's not preaching universalism here. But it's just simply saying that because you're a man related to Adam, you're going to die. But praise the Lord, because you can all be related to Jesus, you can all live. If you choose life. If you desire to walk in the light as he is in the light. Amen? You see, death is inescapable. It comes to every living thing. And the reign of that death began with Adam. Now, the interesting thing to me has always been that Adam lived so long. Here's a guy that lives over 900 years. God gives him all this time to kind of look at life and how it goes. And he still died. And then if you look at the story of the patriarchs, they begin to decrease in age. And by the time you get to Moses, what does Moses say? He said, 70 are the number of the days of man and 80 if by reason of strength. Guess where we are in our world today as an average globally for the length of man's days? Between 70 and 80. So the Bible's right. God kind of capped our time of living, basically. 
Because during Adam's time, people started thinking, well, maybe I'm still going to live forever. Can you imagine celebrating your 793rd birthday? I mean, where do you put them candles? Adam's over honey, call the fire truck. Now they're out there. We just, uh, we just killed all the bees in the area making candles, you know. It's, yeah, it's like crazy. Think about it. And you know what happened? Mankind figured out different ways to sin, and man actually got more sinful the longer he lived on the earth. And so God says, I'm going to give you a reasonable amount of time to come to one truth. Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. Amen? Amen? So he numbered our days. He kind of time-stamped. He date-stamped us, basically. Now, some people, of course, live to be 118, I think is the oldest that we've ever recorded, or 126. You know, Some people who are born in the middle of nowhere don't even know when they were born. I don't even know where the middle of nowhere is. Does anyone know where that? <laughs> but Paul contrasts these two agents, these two single agents of mankind's destiny. You have our path through Adam, which is our physical life and our spiritual life in Christ. And he says, look, pick, choose. You can stay in Adam and stay dead, or you can be in Christ and be alive goes back to the saints and the ain'ts thing, doesn't it? It's only two choices. How many of you actually are not very good at making choices when there's a 50-50 chance? We can flip coins and, you know, it's like, I don't know. Some people have zero gift. You know, it's like heads, tails. They're usually football players. Tails, heads. So it's not just that you have to guess right, you have to pick right. The coins are put on the ground and there's one head and there's one tail and all you got to do is pick the head, Christ. That's it. He's the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Interestingly, when Paul wrote that to the church at Philippi, he wasn't just talking about believers. He said every knee, and the reason we know that is he qualified the statement. He said whether they're on the earth or under the earth. In other words, whether they're on earth and terrestrial or whether they're in hell already, they're one day going to bow the knee to Jesus. Because he's the only way. So as Paul drives this point home in this part of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits and afterwards, those who are Christ that is coming. Now when we see coming, people often go off on tangents. And they run immediately to the second coming of the Lord. His coming here is in a general sense. And it could actually say coming or you're going. At his coming. In other words, whenever you come to Christ. Whether you come to Christ because you took your last breath. Whether you come to Christ because you're snatched away by force at the harpazo, the rapture. When you come back with Christ from heaven. Because you now have your redeemed body. Or whether you meet Christ on this earth as one of those redeemed saints who gives their life to Jesus during the tribulation after all hell breaks loose. When you come and meet Christ, you can be absolutely certain. Then comes the end. And now he does shift to that eternal perspective. When he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father. And I love this next part, verse 24, part B. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. Amen? Now sometimes we look at that and we're going, yeah, the devil and all of his demons. I'm looking forward to Congress and the president and every other kind of power. Amen? Amen? 
No one else to rule over us except King Jesus. Because right now they ain't doing such a hot job. And I want to encourage you to pray for our Congress. They need some extra prayer support right now. But he's actually saying there will be no rulers, period, except King Jesus. There won't be earthly kingdoms anymore. There's not going to be a need for the United States of America. There's not going to be a need for the EU. There won't be a Russian Federation. There will not be a China. There will be the rule and reign of King Jesus. And when that happens, oh, glory. Amen? He's saying one day that's the choice. But in order to be part of that kingdom, you have to know the king. For he must reign till he has put all of his enemies under his feet. You see, when Jesus comes again, he's not coming as the lamb. He's coming as the lion. And he is going to defeat Satan, the Antichrist, all demons, all powers, all authorities, every government, every single thing that's ever exalted itself against the king and his kingdom. He is going to put those things under his feet. You don't want to be part of that. Can I just tell you that? You do not want to be part of what's going to be put underneath the feet of Jesus. Because he's got feet big enough for everything that exalts itself against him. He's capable of squishing every bug. I don't know if you've ever been in a tropical environment to where you're, you're dealing with cockroaches. You can't move fast enough to kill them all. It's not possible. You can do the cockroach dance. La cucaracha, la cucaracha. You know, you can do that whole thing and it's not happening. Some of them bad boys are getting away from you. Why? They got some cockroaches like this. They got names and they can fly. Those things are evil. When King Jesus comes back, he's squishing every bug. It's like, Antichrist, devil, demons, it's the only sound I know. It's kind of like the evil squirting out of them. He's going to put his enemies under his feet. He's going to issue that final victory cry. The death and grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The last enemy, verse 26 says, that will be destroyed is guess what? Death. Adam brought it into the world. Jesus is kicking it out of the world. Amen? That's going to be awesome. No more dying. That's why the book of Revelation says there won't be any more death. No more dying, no more pain, no more sorrow. No more anguish, no more tears. I don't even know how many memorial services and funerals I've done over my time in ministry. I I don't know. But I can tell you this, it's way too many. It's just too many. As much as I try and prepare myself we're talking to people who are dealing with the death of a loved one, there's never the right words. What do you say? That person is gone. And they are gone forever. But as the Apostle Paul says, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. So when someone's a believer and they've gone on to heaven, it's a, I'll see you later. Amen? I, I, you know, I, I got to admit, sometimes I'll even joke around and go, you know what, that casket right there, that's not Bob. That's a tent. And that tent was made to stay here. But Bob's not there. He's in heaven. Amen? Your whole eternity hangs on the resurrection. If Jesus isn't raised... 
then Bob's still in the tent. And then that box of bones is all there is. Finally, that day when there's no more death. Sometimes I read the book of Revelation, I'm like, I get to the end, I'm like, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly, amen? Why is that? Because you get tired of death, you get tired of dying, you get tired of misery, you get tired of hearing about it and talking about it, and that's just when I listen to Fox News. (laughs) And I'm not bashing Fox or any other news channel, but isn't that what happens when you listen to the news? It's like somebody died and somebody got shot and someone was killed and someone was run over and someone was blown up and some country attacked another country and that country attacked somebody else and then their government bombed the other government and that government bombed the other government and pretty soon we're all going to get bombed. Why is that? Because death still reigns. Death still reigns. Those that don't know the Lord, death is still their final reality. And it's going to be eternal death, just like we have eternal life. And so, yeah, I get really tired of hearing about all that stuff because it breaks my heart. I think about people dying and going to hell. I think about that. Sometimes I'll be driving down the street and I'll look at somebody and I admit that I'm actually judging whether they're saved or not. But there's no outward sign that they have a relationship with the Lord and sometimes I'm like, Lord, that could be me. I don't deserve your grace. Why would you pour out your grace on me? I say, God, Show them your grace. Because if they die, they're not just going to die if they die without Jesus. They are going into eternal terror. So that resurrection that we celebrate at Easter, that final victory is based on a decision that you make here and now. Now when all things, verse 28, are made subject to him, then the Son of Man himself will be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be in all. There's one God, three persons. And as we understand the triune workings of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit are all God working in wonderful, unique ways but each part God. There is going to come a time when the unity of the Godhead will even be greater than it is today. As hard as that is for us to wrap our minds around and I'm not preaching modalism here that there's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and they're different and you need to join them together. But what I am saying is, is that your Bible says one day, God the Father is going to take reins of everything. 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 And he uses again another crazy example. He says, otherwise, why would people even be concerned about the baptism of the dead if there's no resurrection? You want an interesting conversation if you're prepared for it. Next time those Mormon missionaries come on their bicycles to your door, ask them about the baptism for the dead. Ask them why they keep the world's largest genealogical database in Salt Lake City. Ask them why they keep very, very close contact with all the people who have ever been inside of a Mormon church. Ask them why that is. Because they have people whose job it is to pray for people who are already dead so that they can be translated out of terrestrial heaven, the lowest level of heaven, and one day be somewhere else. Can I tell you that's a lie? Because you have to make the decision whether you're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell before you take your last breath. 
So Paul says, why are you worried about the baptism of the dead if nobody's actually going to be raised? Why then are they if they do not raise at all? What matters you do what matters you engage in in this life what you do today what decisions you make while you're still alive are going to matter for your eternity let me be very clear you cannot be prayed out of hell Read Luke 16 if you don't quite get that. You are going to spend eternity there if you die without Jesus. Now what God does in the new heaven, new earth, I'm not going to speculate. But I know he said that there are two places that you can go to live eternally. One is eternal torment where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of feet. And one is where in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, that's, you know, that's kind of, you're trying to frighten me. Yes. Yes, I am. And I admit it readily. Because Jesus used the same analogy. The choice is yours. Paul said this. He said, why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. He's basically saying, if I died today, I boast about it. I am so certain and so sure my assurance level is so high that I am going to go to heaven that I actually brag about those who are in the Lord because I know they also will go to heaven. And let me put this into a context for you because when Jesus was alive, things weren't quite as bad as they would get during Paul's time. And even mentioning the name of Jesus during Paul's later years could get you fed to lions in Rome. And so he's saying... I'm boasting about you that you're Christians, and here's why. Because one day we're going to die, and we're going to go to heaven. And, And dying and going to heaven is far better, and we'll see that when we get to the second book of Corinthians, the second letter. If then, in the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus... Look, if I wrestle lions and tigers and bears, oh my. What good is that? I mean, so what? You ever had that experience of, of talking, especially to guys who have never left high school? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I remember that sweep we ran and I went all the way in for a touchdown. You know, they're like living in the past. I wrestled a bear, I wrestled a lion. I used to be able to walk 45 miles with a thousand pounds on my back. You know, that's what people do, right? They brag about the things that they do in this life. I built this, I did that, I had this, I had that. In Yiddish, all of that compared to heaven is bupkis. It don't matter. Amen? You can wrestle all the bears you want. And if you die and go to hell, what profits it a man, Jesus said, if he gains the entirety of the whole world, but loses his soul. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? Don't become king of your own little universe and forget who your king actually is. Because whether you've known him tonight when you came in or not, King Jesus is actually king. Satan's a false king and he's a liar. He will do the same thing to you that he did to Jesus. Well, just toss yourself off this mountain. Angels will get you. 
You know, I know you kind of got to go on and talk to those stones right there. They'll become bread. It was testing Jesus. If you just bow down and serve me, I'll give you all of this. And Jesus said to him, get thee behind me. You can't give me what's already mine. Jesus loves you. If in the manner of men I fought these wild beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it if the dead do not rise? If the dead don't rise, Paul says, let's go party. It's exactly what he says. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So convinced was he that the resurrection of Christ was the most important thing. He said, if Jesus didn't die for our sins, if he's not raised, then let's just go party. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Quoting from Proverbs. Said, so let, let's let's feast and get drunk. You know, the, let's just hang out with the rest of the heathens because we're all going to the same place. But the truth is, you can't go to heaven. And Jesus did rise from the dead, and He is alive forevermore. And so He says to them, verse thirty-four: "Awake to righteousness, and do not sin." I'm not telling you this so you can do what you want with your own life. I'm telling you this so you can be free indeed. You can let go of the garbage that's in your life. You can turn that stuff over to the king. For some do not have the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. Your whole eternity hangs on what you believe about the resurrection of Jesus. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite the pastors to come forward. And while they're making their way forward and while the worship team's coming back out, I want to make sure that there's no one here. I want to make absolutely certain there is no one here who hearing this message is not offered an opportunity to receive Christ right here, right now. It's the most important decision you will ever make with your life. And it is the only decision that you can make that will change your destiny in eternity. And so as we bow our heads, we're going to pray. If you're here and you want to receive Christ, then I'm just going to simply ask you to leave where you are right now and come right up front and tell one of these pastors that you want to know Jesus. And they're going to pray with you. You're going to pray a simple prayer. But we can't pray that prayer for you. It's got to come from you. Because what you believe about the resurrection will determine where you spend eternity. Jesus wants you to know him personally and he's offering salvation as a free gift through faith. And if you'll receive it and believe on his name, you will be saved. And you will also be raised. But make no mistake, if you're here and you do not know Jesus, if you die in your sins, you will You will perish eternally. You will spend eternity apart from God. And the only reason I say that is I don't want anybody to leave this place and not know. I do not want your blood on my hands. I want you to know the truth. The truth can set you free. So family, let's pray. Father, we pray. Lord, we pray right now if there's anyone, anyone at all that's here tonight anyone online, anyone that's watching via live stream or on Facebook, Lord, someone somewhere across the continent, Jesus, you said, if you'll believe in me, though you shall die, yet you shall live. You also said that unless a man is born again, he'll not see the kingdom of heaven. And you made it very clear what that being born again meant. It was to believe on you that you died for our sins on Calvary's cross. We believe, Lord, that you were laid in a grave 
we believe that, Lord, and that you were raised three days later. We believe that, Lord, and because of that, by believing in it, you've given us faith, that grace that imparts your righteousness to us and forgives our sin. You made us justified. You've legally settled the score with the holy God, your Father. And because of that, we can go to heaven. And so we who are here tonight who believe, say again, we believe. Lord, thank you for saving us. For those who haven't, your time is today. Today is the day of salvation for you. Just simply believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Thank you for being so patient with us, God, while we've journeyed in darkness. While we've walked away from you, even as believers, Lord. Thank you for your daily grace that restores us into a right relation. Lord, thank you for that forgiveness that cleanses us, wipes away our sins every moment of every day. As we sin, Lord, your grace is greater. Help us to not sin so there's nothing to forgive. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. Bless us, Lord, tonight by helping us live resurrected lives today. In Jesus' name. Amen.